0: launch and optimize web pages fast. That means you can set ambitious marketing goals and your site can rise to that challenge. Learn why teams like Dropbox, IDEO, and Orange Theory all trust Webflow to achieve their most ambitious goals today at webflow.com. What's the first brand you remember making an impact on you as a young boy?
1: I think it was ABC. You know, there was a campaign. This is why I wanted to get into media marketing and entertainment marketing was when I was a high school student, I was watching, I used to love to, you know, well, obviously most kids watching TV and, and they did these brand campaigns for the, the new fall season of shows. ABC really pioneered this was not just selling, Hey, watch this show, watch this show. They got all the stars of the shows together in one giant music video kind of film talking about, uh, you know, why ABC was just a great place to be. And you would see this, sh- you know, the star from the Wednesday night show with the star from the news. All these different people all in the same video. And they took a very popular pop song called Still the One by a group called Orleans. Mm-hmm. It was really popular. And it was, you know, and because ABC had just hit number one in the ratings the year before. And so the, the theme was Still the One. And you had everybody from, you know, Suzanne Summers, who's on a really popular show called Three Company, saying Still the One to, you know, um, you know, Ted Koppel <laughs> nightline yeah, saying yeah. Still the One. And and uh and there was something magical about that because it, it it turned TV into a brand. I just said, I
0: want to I do that. <laughs> Hi, I'm Jim Stengel, and I help major brands find their purpose and activate it, and the profits follow. For seven years, I was the global marketing officer for Procter & Gamble, where I oversaw the marketing of hundreds of brands. You may not know it, but the CMOs, the chief marketing officers, of all of your favorite brands are trying to connect you with your favorite products and services through Purpose And on this show, I delve into how they do it. My guest today on the CMO Podcast is Michael Smith, the Chief Marketing Officer at NPR, my favorite media brand. So I am really looking forward to this. NPR is an independent nonprofit media organization that was founded with the purpose to create a more informed public, crucial to every democracy. NPR's first program, All Things Considered, premiered on May 3rd, 1971. It's come a long way in 50 years, 60 million people engage weekly across its platforms, 35 bureaus globally, 1,000-plus employees. My guest Michael has a diverse 30-year career in media, working for CBS, Disney ABC Television, the Food Network, the Cooking Channel, and Scripps Networks Interactive. I suspect he likes to cook, but let's find out. This is my conversation with Michael Smith. Michael, welcome to the CMO Podcast. I must admit, I'm a bit intimidated by this interview because most of my interview heroes are in your organization. Your NPR has been part of my life for as long as I can remember. And people like Audie Cornish and Scott Simon and Elsa Chang and Mary Louise Kelly and Terry Gross, I mean, I love them. I learned from them. I feel smarter and and better because they're in my life. So I would like you to share with me up front any insights from these pros to help me be a better interviewer.
1: Well, yeah, like you, Jim, I, I have always been an NPR fanboy for, for many, many years. And, and I tell people that, you know, working at NPR is sort of like being, you know, in the dugout of your favorite sports team, your favorite baseball team, because it is just such a, uh, I'm still in awe of, of these people. And it's really um, kind of forced me to raise my own game in terms of being a communicator because uh, you do feel a lot of nervousness and pressure because they are so fantastic on the air, um, you know, both as presenters, but also as just inquisitive, uh, you know, questioners and journalists. And uh, it's it's just, a, it's just a treat, especially as a marketer, to market something that you just inherently have a respect and and, and love for yourself. You know, in, mo- in my career, I've worked at I you know, worked at Disney, I worked at Food Network, and HGTV, and CBS, and you know brands where I was, you know, I was somewhat of a fan. But you know, they—they, they, I have to be honest, I mean, they weren't my go-to, you know, number one uh, media source. But NPR has always been, and so it's just an amazing um, privilege to to, to to work for the brand.
0: Now, I know you're the only only this third CMO at NPR. How much time do you spend with the journalists?
1: yeah you know, i spent a lot in the early days because one of the things i believe as a marketer is that you really need to understand you know not only the audience but really before you even get to talking to the audience you need to understand the uh the product you know and and really get to the essence of what the product is and you know i had a sort of you know somewhat of a sense as, as a consumer myself but i really wanted to get under the hood and understand the motivations and the values behind the people who make the content so i had a one of the nice things about COVID, I started right as the lockdowns began, and so I've been working 100% remote, is just the ability through Zoom to, uh, you know, get 20 minutes, 30 minutes with, you know, with, whether it's with Guy Raz or with Sam Sanders or, um, and with a lot of the producers as well, just to kind of understand, uh, you know, how they make the shows. I mean, Guy has invited me, and I've joined a few of the production meetings for how I built this and, and just been at the ground floor of how they make, you know, how they make what they make.
0: What was their insights about being a CMO? I'm sure they had some ideas for you and
1: some thoughts. Yeah, I think everybody shares this, uh, which I believe, you know, believe that, that, you know, we're kind of one of the best kept secrets in America, you know, that yeah. we focus so hard on the mission, which is you know, to create a more informed public and a more culturally aware um, America. Um, but. We don't spend a lot of time doing what a lot of other people in the media business do, which is you know promote and and kind of kind of you know beat your chest a little bit and tell people about why you're so great. I think people you know at NPR for years have kept their heads down, you know, on the work itself, and uh, uh, and I think that there was a feeling, especially among a lot of the younger journalists, that um, you know we're excited that we have a, a renewed focus on marketing. We really do want to uh, you know get people uh, beyond our sort of bubble to know. That were here. Uh, and they were excited you know, to have, to have me join.
0: Well, I'm in that bubble and I want that bubble to get bigger. And I'm, we're going to talk about it in a minute. But I kind of want to start this interview with an issue I've heard you talk about. And that is the low, relatively low awareness of NPR versus other media companies, the big media companies. And one thing you've talked about is People like Fox and MSNBC and CNN use their personalities. And in fact, their personalities are very much a part of the brand. So people like Kennedy and Rachel and, and others. And I just wonder, are, are you thinking of any creative ways to raise the profile of these amazing people you have in your organization to build awareness, build engagement, Broaden the circle. So, what insights, what learning, what strategies do you have to leverage your talent more than you do today?
1: Yeah, one of the learnings that I brought was, uh, for, especially from my years at Scripps, was the, the importance of personalities when it, when it comes to nonfiction informational brands. I, I tell people the story about when you, when you think about when you're in college and the classes that you remember, it's not necessarily the, the material, the textbooks or the lectures, but it, it's, it's, it's the professors. <laughs> it's that unique yeah. personality that that, that that person had that, that made that information really resonate for you. And I think at NPR, our, our approach to journalism has really been always about uh, letting the facts and the information lead, l- um, less than the actual personal opinions of the people telling you the stories. Which I think is, a, is is our you know distinguishing um, mm-hmm. feature and, and what makes us strong, but at the same time it's led us to to maybe downplay the importance of of the the personalities and and when we talk to listeners we find that the that they do like the fact based information but they also really do resonate with with, with the personalities and so. That's one of the things that I've been trying to do is is to just give them more of a platform. I mean, even simple things. You think about our podcast tiles, the uh, you know the, the graphics that, mm-hmm. that that represent our podcast. You know, we traditionally have not had the hosts uh, uh, or the journalists on those tiles, and, or or in any of the marketing materials. And that's something we've started to do a lot more over the last years to just show the faces, um, uh, just that there's more of a human connection with who's you know who's bringing these stories.
0: Do you think there's anything that non-media brands can learn from that? You know, I, I remember when I was at p I was on the plane with our CEO at the time, and we, our, comp- our company was sort of coming back, and I, we were talking about how to humanize our brands more, and I remember talking about, should we just take some of the people who are the scientists on the brand, or the consumer insights people, or the factory people? And just get them out there more, you know, on social media, at events, because they're so sincere, they're so good, they're so expert at what they do. So do you think there's any learning for non-media brands on humanizing their brands by showing a bit more of the personality of the people who are behind the brand, which make
1: the brand? Yeah, I, I think it, it, it's a natural, uh, naturally effective tactic to, tactic to connect people. Uh, with real people that, that embody your brand. The, the, the challenge is making sure that you find people that, you know, they're also just have to have that natural charisma and that natural connection mm. because part of what you hope your brand is, you know, the, this you know, authenticity of you know, some brands. It's, it's a, it's a you know, sense of humor, a, uh, an empathy, and, an, and a little bit of entertainment value. And you think about the personalities. Um, I mean, think, think about the, the years I was at Food Network. That was, you know, we we had the same challenge. We thought, well, should we, you know, what makes a good food TV host? Is it just somebody who is an expert chef uh, who has the greatest food knowledge? Is that who we should be putting on the air, or is it, you know, somebody who has a little bit more of that sort of entertainment uh celebrity magic? And uh, we were lucky to, you know, find people who can combine that. If you think about people like a guy Fieri or an Emerald mm-hmm. Lagasse or Rachel Ray, they you know they have they have the food shops, but they also have that unique ability to just connect as, as great you know, personalities.
0: We've all been there. You spend millions of dollars each year driving traffic to your company's website, and then the results come in and they're just not what you hoped. On top of that, 81% of marketing leaders say website ownership is a challenge. So what do you do? Well, you switch to Webflow. Let me tell you why. Webflow's visual-first platform empowers your team to own your company's most valuable dynamic marketing asset, your website. From launching a new site to optimizing for SEO and conversions, Webflow gives you the tools you need to drive business growth fast. Unlock your website's full potential when you build, manage, and host with Webflow. Get started today at webflow.com. I saw one of the first things you did when you joined was you dug into the anthropology of NPR. Mm-hmm. You went back and a- actually spoke to the founders or the people that were there at the beginning with the first show as this was just an emerging thing. So tell us about that. Why did you do that? And what did you learn?
1: Yeah, I really wanted to go back and understand the essence of the brand and, and, and uh, you know, what its true values were, just, and the origin story. And so I went and talked to Bill Seemering, who was one the original program director for NPR and who wrote NPR's first mission statement, uh, and had a long conversation with him and in several emails, just to get a sense of what what was the thinking behind the creation of NPR and what what were they trying to do at the beginning. And it really helped me understand uh, how the brand should live fifty years on. Uh, and when when the brand started, the idea was it was supposed to be a, a sort of a, a complement to the areas that commercial media and sort of the free market uh, incentives around media, you know, did not serve. It came out of the, the Great Society programs in the nineteen sixties that set up, you know, the Corporation for Public Broadcasting and Public uh, Broadcasting Act. Uh, you know, set up the funding for that. And so the idea of NPR was, you know, are there are certain voices that are not being, um, you know, being uh, spotlighted, certain stories that are not being uh, told. You know things that maybe just don't aren't commercially viable but they're important for Americans to, to, to know and understand and also we, we, the goal was to serve audiences that weren't being uh, best served by mainstream media and as the years went on, uh, there's been a disconnect. I think NPR is becoming you know, obviously a super trusted news brand, but it's if you think of the audience that it, the, it predominantly serves uh, it's not necessarily the you know, the the unheard or the under underrepresented voices. It it, it became really um, maybe we did too good of a job. I mean, we we created a you know, a fan base of people who are super highly educated, super upscale, and you know super uh, intelligent. Um, but we have missed a lot of the country, and I think um, you know Bill helped me understand that you know there's still a long way to go in terms of fulfilling that mission. Yeah. We need to really he used the analogy that you know, we're spreading seeds, but we aren't plowing the entire field.
0: Hmm. Anything else? Did Bill share anything else about that mission? And about 50 years ago, the thinking and motivation behind it and how he feels about it today?
1: Yeah, I think that uh, one of the things is this idea of serving the entire person. Uh, uh, You know, we're not just a news and information uh, brand, but we're really about storytelling that can kind of make you just a more complete human being, so there's room for you know news headlines and political uh information, but there's also room for cultural stories and and stories about just you know the lifestyle and and uh um you know travel and music and food and just you know all the different ways that you all the things that make you human and never to uh you know let that. Part of the brand slip away, and I, I think we do a great job of that today. You know, thanks to the, the being able to leverage multiple platforms beyond just radio shows. You know, we've been able to, on YouTube, with our Tiny Desk concerts, create a whole new cultural movement around um, discovering and platforming new music artists. Uh, so, I think that that kind of whole person aspect of it is something that uh, we still, you know, we still listen to Bill today.
0: Was there anything in that anthropology dig that surprised you?
1: Yeah, a little bit. You know that I wouldn't say radical, but 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 uh, yeah, sort of a, a kind of nature of the people who started NPR. They they weren't, you know, they were people who probably wouldn't wouldn't have been able to get hired at CBS News or at the mainstream media oh. outlets. I mean, uh, they took a lot of chances on young, uh, uh, up and coming journalists who um, you know couldn't get jobs in, in mainstream media, especially women. You know, there's we talk about Susan Stanberg and mm. you Koki know, Roberts, and they all have stories uh, of how you know they were rejected by the big mainstream media outlets. So, we've always been a place for um, that uh, you know, lifting up voices that would normally get, get get a stage.
0: Michael, how did that that anthropology dig shape your priorities as you were putting together your agenda? As CMO, only the third one at NPR.
1: Well, help me frame what our challenge is. And I think that, that there are two core challenges. One is to just increase the reach of our work. Because uh, you know, if, if, if the philosophy is to cloud the field and you know, create more Americans who uh, you know, are culturally informed and, and uh, um, you know, just better aware of, of uh, how to be better citizens within the democracy. Um, if we're doing it with, you know, right now we reach about 60 million people a week, but that means there are, you know, another 260 million that we don't reach. <laughs> mm-hmm. So our job, you know, won't be done, and it's in my belief until, you know, we reach everyone uh, and engage with everyone. So that's so growing our reach is, is uh, job number one. And then the second job, which is really our near term uh, priority, is to diversify that reach. And we, if you look at our radio audience, which is our traditional way of reaching people, you know, it's out of sync with America's uh, demographics. It's about 80% white. The average radio listener is about 60 years old. Uh, and, you know, obviously, the United States is about you know, 40% people of color. You know, the average American is about 36 years old. So, uh, so thankfully, you know, by leveraging podcasting and, uh, and uh, you know, social media platforms, uh, you know, and other digital outlets, we've been able to begin to reach younger and more diverse audiences. And so that has been a, a kind of our you know, core focus right now.
0: I look through your career history, and you have done this at other media brands. You have broadened and diversified the audiences, and you're, you're on that uh, path now at NPR. Can you share, so many of our listeners have this challenge, right? Their, their brands are just not appealing to the America of today. Which is more diverse? Is younger? It's more vocal. Uh, so many positive things. So, any insights on your process, on your playbook, if you will, for broadening and diversifying? You talked about podcast and talent, but how do you tackle that? What insights can others learn from you?
1: Well, I think the first thing is to recognize that the new, newer, you know, younger, more diverse audiences. Uh, you know, they're not different than Americans of the past and in terms of the, the core values, the core things that are important in people's lives, you know, family, community, career. Uh, they, they're the same. What's changed is, you know, kind of sort of the cultural uh, nuances around uh, how those um, those dreams are realized. And so I think the, I think the key is that to kind of understand what your brand is about and then Articulate it in a more contemporary way by we use you know three things that we think about. One is um, you know, we want the, our work to we want people to feel like the work is created uh, you know for us by us and about us. So it's still you know we're it, they're not saying they they don't want news and politics and technology and science and finance and you know life and culture and music things that NPR has always done they just want to feel like the story choices and the storytelling choices and the storytellers represent uh, their voices and they want to see themselves in the, in the storytelling itself. And so that's what we've, we've, uh, I think we've done. We've done a really good job in the last few years at NPR at doing that in terms of if you think about who's telling the stories, uh, the story choices that we're making in terms of, uh, you know, the kinds of topics we cover and, and then just also the perspective. It's, it's not that, you know, we don't tell the stories as if it's, you know, an older, say, you know, an older white person looking at a community. It's a story from with somebody from the community talking about their experience of it, uh, so I think that's what, that's what it really is. It's just sort of centering your brand within the culture of the people that you're trying to reach.
0: Do you have any challenges? Doing this at NPR that are different from the ones you had at the other brands where you have done this.
1: Uh, you know, I think that the positive side is that most people who work at NPR, just by the nature of you know working at a nonprofit and a mission-driven organization, are tend to be very progressive and tend to really buy into the ethical and, and uh, you know sort of moral reason to to diversify. Uh, which you might not find as much as at for-profit for, for profit companies, where the you know the, the bottom line is kind of what drives it most. And for years, you know, university has been sort of a, yeah, it's a nice thing, but you know, <laughs> it's about shareholder value. Um, so that's great; you don't have to win that battle. The challenge, though, at nonprofit is just just resources. You know, it's it's um, you know you, you you have less resources than for-profit companies, and then typically, then with limited resources, you want to put those resources into the work itself into the things that are, you know, the the mission in terms of, you know, impacting society. And so it can be more challenging to say, let's take a little bit of those resources and put them into marketing and growing the brand and repositioning the brand. Because sometimes people will say, well, yeah, but that isn't really educating and informing people, but that's marketing, you know, that's promotion. And it's, it's helping people understand that by promoting and getting more people engaged with the brand, that actually is serving the mission. It just as much as you know, the making the content itself. And so, so that's, a, that's been part of the challenge.
0: What would you say is the key to success for today's CMO? If you said data, you wouldn't be the only one. At Deloitte, however, we believe data is only half of the equation. The other half, story. Because data is the language of business, but story is the language of humans. And we believe the most successful CMOs know how to harness the power of both data and story. To learn more about Deloitte's CMO program and how we can help today's CMO succeed, visit cmo.deloitte.com. I want to kind of go back to the mission and the brand purpose part. Uh, you're 50 years old. You've stayed true to this mission. You've changed how you execute it. But I'd like you to share a little bit about how you think about this mission internally. Do you talk about it a lot? Is it in performance discussions, performance reviews, is it something that's so embedded you don't have to talk about it? But I'd just like to, what are your lessons about engaging your organization, which is a 1,000 plus people in this mission? Are you overt about it? Not so overt? What lessons could other people working in other non-media brands learn from this remarkable consistency on purpose?
1: Yeah, I think that the the mission part is uh very embedded in everything that we do i i I think it's if you think about uh, who works at npr you know the majority of people at npr are are journalists you know and what journalism is about is you know shining a light on uh you know on on the world and 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 really helping people uh, understand things that they may not you know that they that they don't know anything about and then helping them see things that they think they know about in you know more illuminating ways, and so I think every majority of people at NPR who come to NPR, you know, kind of have that built into their DNA anyway. And then people who don't, who aren't journalists, usually are probably gravitate to the company because of their interest in in that in the first place. So I think the mission part is not that much, you know, as the, our biggest challenge. I think that the bigger challenge is understanding how to uh, effectuate that mission. Uh, in amidst uh, you know, two really techno- tectonic changes happening in society, one is the way that people consume and interact with media. So, you know, when we started, it was you know was radio, television, <laughs> magazines, print. Now there's you know uh, you know multitude of ways that people interact. So that creates a, new, a whole new complexity um, for, for, for fulfilling the mission. And then the second part is the, the change uh, in the in the culture in the in the demographics of our culture uh you know not just in terms of uh, uh, ra- you know the racial diversity in America but also the you know the polarization uh political polarization in the united states, the continued difference between you know perspectives in people who live in the cities versus people who live in rural areas so it's just a much more complex landscape uh, uh, of people to 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 inform and 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 then and, and like as I said they're be consuming in so many different ways and so I think that's those two things are the the biggest challenges for NPR. Yeah.
0: Do you measure how you're doing against this mission? I mean, do you how do you know you're making progress? Your audience grows, I guess, and diversifies. Anything else you look at to be sure that? you are making progress against this North star?
1: Yeah, I think in terms of the KPIs that we look at, uh, you know, the, the, one of the basic ones to me is, is, uh, is reach obviously is, you know, how many people are engaging with, with our content uh, every month. Uh, Awareness is also really important. How many people are aware of NPR and that it's out there. I think that the brand trust metric is very important uh, uh, because they, believe in the information that we're communicating and then the, you know, the, the, diversity metric, you know, in terms of, um, ethnically, geographically, uh, politically, you know, are we really reaching all, all America? Uh, uh, so there's, you know, a variety of different ways to, to measure those things, but th- those are kind of the areas that, 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 that we focus on.
0: I have one question about your role as CMO before moving into your interesting career path. I know you're working on broadening and diversifying the audience. How do you spend your time? What's, what's, what do you personally focus on? If I looked at your diary for a month or two, what would I wean from
1: that? You know, I think it's a combination of the kind of thinking a lot about the strategic uh, uh, focus and we, you know, where we should be focusing our efforts, with, you know, what sh- should it be a brand focus? Raising awareness of the brand? Should it be focusing on individual shows? Should it be focused on, indiv- on individual talent and, and, and hosts, individual stories? Got to, you know, the tactical uh, um, plan. And, and then the other part is uh, a lot of internal organizational uh, work. You know, as I mentioned before, there's with, with all the change in how we interact and connect with people. There's a lot of uh, sort of internal plumbing that needs to be up, you know, almost, I could take, almost, call it the you know, organizational infrastructure that needs to be in place to be able to be that. You know, if we, we said we, we, we were a, and if you think about it 30 years ago or even 20 years ago, yeah, NPR was basically a, you know, radio production company making, you know, two hugely popular radio shows, you know, in the morning and the afternoon and distributing them to radio stations. So you have a certain infrastructure to, to pump that show out every day you know, those two shows out every day and now you're a company that's pumping out you know um hundreds of pieces of content every day i mean we have you know, over 35 different podcasts and you know uh, instagram channel that's super popular and the youtube channel that's really popular and uh you know and then many more radio shows than we used to do uh and you know a hugely popular website and and uh newsletters and so how do you uh you know modernize sort of the the infrastructure to be able to promote all of that, cross-promote all of that, uh, you know, leverage synergies between all of those things. Uh, that's something that, you know, we are going through growing pain. But we're gonna to have to do if we're gonna be, you know, a modern multi-platform media company.
0: How big is your team, Michael?
1: We have about 50 people across uh, audience development and growth is kind of the area. Uh, mm-hmm. department name and it uh includes people who do who look at audience insights who kind of uh, kind of i, I use the, the story with my team that the first piece is to kind of understand the audience so we have a research we call a research department that is getting the insights then we have a group that figures out you know based on those insights how to create messaging uh to one uh keep people who are in the brand more satisfied. So we have a you know, design team that works on a, how our apps and uh, website and experiences look and feel. And then we have a marketing sort of acquisition marketing team that tries to go out and you know, bring new people into the brand, you know, through more traditional marketing, whether, you know, paid media tactics and earned media tactics. Uh, and then we have a sort of biz dev partnerships team that thinks about interesting ways to leverage our brand and IP with third-party partners to, for, for two reasons. One, to help um, spread the awareness, early awareness of the brand, but also to generate an incremental revenue. So whether it's you know, doing a, we have something called the NPR Coffee Club, because obviously people like to drink coffee in the morning when they're listening to NPR. And so we, we partnered with a third-party company to create a, a line of brand, NPR-branded coffees, which is you know, good for awareness and, 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 um, and good for revenue. And, uh, you know, we have a popular e-commerce business. We actually have a store, um, I know on, that. On, site, uh, on site in our building. <laughs> you know, we do a lot of, um, live events, uh, to engage with, 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 with people as well.
0: Yeah. Now I want to uh, talk about your career path, which, where you made a couple, I think really interesting choices. And the first one is you, you came out of, uh, your education and you went into media and you talked about always being interested in media, but you spent a lot of your career in food media. Was that intentional or did it sort
1: of just happen? Yeah, I would say, you know, it sort of happened. It's interesting when I talk to college students about careers in media and I tell them there really is no career path. (laughs) You know, I, I think you have to kind of understand the, the the basic essence of what you like to do in media. So, you know, are you a person that likes to sell and monetize media? Are you a person that likes to actually create media, create the content? Are you a person that likes to market and promote the content? You kind of figure out what your lane is within the the thing. It goes back to when I used to to play in a rock band when I was in uh, college and it was the same thing. Do you want to write the songs? Do you want to kind of get bookings for the band (laughs) or do you want to, um, you know, promote the band? Um, you know, what's, what's your lane. And for me, it had always been, you know, I like the creating the content, but I really like figuring out what the audience is going to like and, and how to bring audiences to the, the, the show. And I wanted to do that. know, uh, it, uh, it wasn't, that, I wasn't that specific about where I'd be able to do that. Um, I think that's what happened. You know, you just kind of doors open. And so what happened to me when I was working at the, at the Disney channel in, in the, uh, in marketing and in, in, in promotions, um, I want I was working in a on the uh, the Disney ABC kids Saturday morning programming block I was uh, you know, uh, responsible for marketing that and I wanted to be in a position where I could have more of a an, an entire brand um, perspective than just you know a particular day part and the Disney company is you know, obviously huge and has you know there's a million pieces to the brand and so I wanted to go to a place where I could uh, like I said put my arms around the entire brand and so there was this and then got a recently launched TV channel called The Food Network. <laughs> and uh, I remember when I got in touch with them, um, I didn't know that much about it. I you know, wasn't really a foodie or anything. And I, w- and I remember telling friends uh, about, at Disney about the, the the opportunity and they were like, The Food Network, What is that like a, a food bank? Is that, is that a charity? Because <laughs> uh, you know, nobody knew about it. Yeah. But the exciting thing about it was it was a chance to really take a brand that was It's kind of fledgling. It was, you know, it started out as sort of a gourmet uh, magazine on TV, you know, with with basically chefs in white coats teaching people how to cook and how to reimagine that as a entertainment media brand and taking the lessons from Disney, which had really, you know, laid the playbook on how to take IP and personalities and create experiences around, uh, you know, engaging entertainment and apply that to food. And and that's what we tried to do was, you know, we turn it from, uh, you know, white tablecloth chefs to chopped and iron shop and mm-hmm. you know, entertainment and fun. And 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 the great thing about it was if you if you're involved with a company that's in sort of a, that early stage. You can really forge a long career because you never run out of challenges. You know, every year Food Network was a different network because in the beginning, you know, we were in 30 million homes at a time, you know, very small TV channel. And the next year, we were a little bit bigger. The next year, we're bigger. And the next year, we're launching a e-commerce line. The next year, we're launching an event line. The next year, we're opening a restaurant. Next year, we're doing a, uh, you know, a, la- a line of products. So the job always reinvented itself uh as the company grew, I and mean, we were launching it internationally or launching a new television network called the cooking channel and i got a chance to um, be part of so uh i think that's why I, I worked there for such a long time because it never it never got boring
0: yeah, fast forward you you were at Scripps interactive and discovery bought it your job was eliminated and you went into consulting for about a year and a half and you left that to join npr you know a, another organization did you do that because you didn't like consulting or you always meant it to be temporary or you were figuring out what you wanted to do in the next phase of your life tell us about that
1: i knew i wanted to when i left yeah when i left discovery i knew i wanted to continue uh, focused on these two areas that i'd mentioned before about the um, the changing ways people consume content or just just always intellectually stimulating and interesting to me and then this issue of how the audiences are changing and how america's diversifying and how to create content to to meet that need and so i wasn't sure how that would uh land but i did some consulting projects that were related to that i was working i uh, did some work for Condé nast and helping them launch a streaming version of bon appetit uh, i did some work on some sort of self-startup projects that in the sort of diverse content space um, so i found those that they were Interesting projects, and I was actually working on a potential entrepreneurial project of my own when the NPR opportunity came up. And the, the unique thing about it was it was the chance to work on the two things that I was really interested in in a organization that actually I happen to be a huge fan of. Because when, when when they said to me, you know, in fact John Lansing, who's you know our CEO, reached out to me and said, you know, our big challenge is how do we figure out, how to, you know, take NPR from a radio company to a multi platform uh, digital company. Uh, that was that's exactly what it. That sounds good. <laughs> yeah. And how do we diversify our audience to attract a um a younger, more diverse audience that was like, well, oh, that's that's how I've been working on that too, John. <laughs> so it was a perfect fit.
0: And so an easy decision to go into NPR.
1: Yeah, it really was. Um, I, I, I think because oftentimes, and I've you know seen this in other organizations, and I talked to friends of mine when you're trying to make that uh those pivots, uh. In organizations where you know there's such a legacy um, culture, uh, it can be really frustrating and you know and, and 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 exhausting to do, and so to go to an organization that is really all in on this, uh, it's, it's just so much easier yeah. I mean and, and, and obviously you know we have our same we have struggles in the sense that um, you know that, that we've been for fifty years, you know our core of our business is is reaching people on the radio. You know, there's always that risk of, or, or that people have, you know, have this perceived fear that you're going to alienate your core audience and you're going to, you know. Um, but I think we have a unique opportunity because, you know, we've been able to bring a whole new generation of people to NPR, to the brand, without alienating our core audience. And I think the magic has been because of the platforms, you know, the radio audience uh, loves what we do and, you know, they're getting older, but they continue to consume on the radio more than ever. And then this whole new audience uh, that is found us through podcasting uh, is, it doesn't cannibalize our radio audience. Most of them don't listen to the radio uh, and love what we do on, on podcasts. And so it's, it's been a unique opportunity to kind of build uh, you know, two audiences under one brand uh, without having to really cannibalize either one of them.
0: I mean, I mean, that's a hard thing to do. So I just want to pause on that for a minute. So many brands relaunch, forget about their base. Lose their base and they become smaller as a result. I think you've done a beautiful job of broadening the base and still including the base, and and I think that's just because of the incredible understanding you have of your of your listener and the great stuff you're bringing to us. I mean, I I engage with you in a ve- way different way than I did five years ago, and I like that, mm-hmm. and I I feel more current, and I want to be I'm to be listening to and watching. What emerging consumers and people are listening to and watching it just keeps us relevant and yeah, it's more interesting
1: I, yeah i think that, i think that you know you jim you point, you point out something that they may be unique to brands that serve very curious consumer bases that, that those those brands may have an easier time uh evolving and pivoting because they're their legacy audience has an inherent curiosity mm. and wants to stay contemporary. And so they'll let you take more chances and introduce them to things yeah. that they may not be comfortable with because it's just the nature. And, and we've heard that anecdotally from older listeners who are like, you know, you're doing these stories about communities that I would never really thought about, things that I'd never really at perspectives that I'd never thought about, and they're open to it.
0: Michael, I want to move into the last part of this podcast, which we call the creator brief, and we just talk about some random things that are interesting. And the first one is I'd like to hear your NPR routines.
1: Well, I kind of follow, it's funny to follow what what, 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 we're working on, on a national brand campaign for our podcast portfolio. And I, and what I've been trying to push is this idea of making NPR podcasts, kind of the foundation of your playlist, every your daily playlist and, and how you can build that. And I kind of embody that in the sense that, you know we have a morning podcast called up up first which mm-hmm. is a you know a quick um, news recap uh and i take the right, the right now this summer i'm taking my daughter to the summer camp every morning and it's about a 20 minute drive there and back and and so that's the, that's my up first moment uh to get ready and then uh you know in the middle of the day i'll hit you know one or two of our other uh maybe weekly podcasts like let's say a code switch which is our race and culture podcast or maybe i'll listen to um it's been a minute, which is our sort mm-hmm. of or fresh air, which are sort of our interview podcasts, and then the after um, you know late afternoon we have consider this, which is our sort of end of day you know recap news you know news podcast, uh, and and then at night you know um, I may check out a a uh, a um, tiny desk video on YouTube and which is the, you get into a rabbit hole of watching one video and then oh that's an artist it's interesting We check out another artist and. <laughs> And after about you know an hour and a half, you you've watched uh, you know ton of, ton of concerts, but um, that's kind of my uh, NPR diet. That's a nice day. Yeah, yeah. And then by <laughs> the way, get a little worked out in between. Right? Yeah, right.
0: <laughs> uh, through line is my walking podcast. I think that's I, I love the concept of that podcast, and you execute it brilliantly. You've worked with a lot of famous talent in your career. You know, Bobby Flay, Patty LaBelle, John Legend on and on emerald what kind of culture were you able to create so they wanted to be a
1: part of it and
0: they wanted to do their best work in that culture
1: yeah a lot of it goes back to when i was a college student and you know playing in rock bands i also was uh, involved in I started my own little mini band booking agency um where i booked uh, bands from the san francisco area to come down to the campus and play and 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 it really taught me a lot about artist relations and you know, talent relations. And it's about giving people the the, the making make them feel that you, you, you trust them enough to you know have their lane and do and do their do their creative work the way they want to do it. And you'll deal with the sort of businessy part of it, but you're not gonna meddle and change the vision of what they want to do creatively. You want to make them feel like, look, the reason why I want to do, I want you here is because I really respect and I'm a fan of what you do. And you demonstrate that by you know, actually listen, having listened to their music, actually having watched their, their TV shows and show that you really do respect what they do as artists and that you're here to just help facilitate and, 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 and help more people connect to their work. And if they really, if you can build that trust, uh, um, then you know, you'll have a great relationship with them. You know? um, and, and that's one of the things when I came to NPR, yeah, you know, I m- immediately said that to everybody that, you know, I'm, you know, I'm a huge fan of what you guys do, you know, I come from a creative background myself, I'm a you know, musician, a you know, writer, and so I get, you know, why this work is so important to you, and, and I'm not just the, the guy in a suit here to just sort of huckster what you're doing, uh, and I think what, if you can build that trust that, uh, that you're really one of them, uh, then uh, that, opens lot, you know, that opens the doors. What was your band named? It was called Lenoir, <laughs> which, is the, which is the Blacks, yeah. the Black, the Black in, uh, in French.
0: So what campaign or initiative throughout your amazing career are you most proud of?
1: I think the you know, way more than cooking campaign that we did at Food Network because what we were trying to do and the insight was that um that people who loved food didn't necessarily want to learn to cook on television they liked to to look at food and be in a food environment but they wanted television to be television they wanted television to be entertainment and fun and competition and reality and drama uh and they were saying that you know, if we want to learn how to cook, we can go to the internet for that. Uh, So it really helped us understand that we needed to transform Food Network more into a reality TV channel that used food as the sort of backdrop for the reality. uh, But then the challenge of once we did that was to change consumer perceptions of what Food Network was because they they thought it was just a cooking channel and they were rejecting it. They thought, yeah, I watched it a little bit in the afternoon when I'm kind of getting ideas on what recipes to make for dinner, if I turn it off at six o'clock, because I know you guys are just doing that cooking stuff. And then to help them understand that no, it really is something else. And so we, uh, we had done a couple of campaigns that were more subtle about this, about you know, Food Network's really entertaining or Food Network's uh, really fun. Or, and it wasn't working. It wasn't resonating. And so I remember in one of the focus groups, people said, you know, I think we, we showed them a, a, a collection of some, some uh, program clips and, and somebody said, wow, it's really way more than cooking. And mm. the idea was maybe that should be the tagline. And the creators were like, well, that that's just that's that's not, you know, creative. That's and and I said, Nip, you know, if you really want to make a change, maybe you just need to be direct and just say. And I think the original tagline was it's damn way more than cookie. And I think the Scripps family is a little more conservative than that. So yeah. they, took the, they took the damn off. But but uh, but the campaign it worked, you know, within, within two years the I mean we had data that showed it. Uh, about seventy percent of the audience thought the Food Network was just a, was, was only cooking, and mm-hmm. uh, before we launched the campaign, and after a couple of years, it dropped down to thirty percent. So wow! Uh, so that was uh, something I was really proud of.
0: Michael, who would you like to hear on the CMO podcast? Who would be helpful and interesting for you?
1: Uh, that's interesting. I, I I think you know we hear the traditional, not traditional, but I mean a lot of the you know the people from the brands that. Either the brands that you've all you've heard of, or the or the executives that you know seem to get all the pub and you know Ad Week, uh, I think it'd be interesting to hear some of the less traditional voices. Uh, people maybe who have come from you know less traditional paths. Uh, that's what I tend to you know to look for is just people that will help me see things in a different way and uh, give me some insights uh, you know, that I hadn't
0: that I don't have, Michael thank you for being with us today. It was inspiring, uh, joyful for me. Uh, you're, you're one of my favorite brands in the world and certainly my favorite media brand. And it was so, so great to hear what you're doing with NPR. I'm, I'm rooting for you and, and, and I, I always have ideas for you. So reach out anytime.
1: Well, thanks, Jim, for having me. Uh, yeah, I'm a huge fan of you know, your career and work and, and the show. And it's just a, you know, an honor to be to, to be part of the the pantheon of people who've been on on the uh on the show
0: and i like your suggestion about bringing even more non-traditional people on we're going to work harder at that
1: great appreciate it thank you i feel like i'm on how i built this with guy ross (laughs) i like that
0: comparison thank you (laughs) that was my conversation with michael smith three takeaways for your business brand and life first one when you start a new job or a new assignment go back to the beginning Talk to people who were there when the brand started if that's possible. If it's not possible, read everything you can and talk to as many people as you can who were part of that brand history. Michael calls it getting into the anthropology of the brand. He did that beautifully at NPR. Second takeaway, this was a lesson in how to expand your brand into new audiences, more diverse audiences, without losing your base listeners or customers. It's not easy to do to grow a brand and not leave behind the people who have been with you for many years. NPR is doing a great job at that. Third lesson, how to work with top creative talent. We all want creative people in our organizations. Michael talked about how to create the environment, the culture, how to build trust, and how to let them fulfill their vision